When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to IntelliCast, sitting at my desk, which is weird. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing good. How about you? <laughs> All right. Um, this is season five, episode 26. Craig Alter interviewed today. Yeah. Craig is a friend. He lives in Cincinnati. He's been on the client side for um, his whole career. So it's an interesting conversation, but he now works in consumer insights at Mercy Health. Um Pon Mercy Health, um, which is located in Ohio, Kentucky, and I think the Carolinas, he says. Yeah, he said East Coast. So, yeah, the Bon Secours was more East Coast. Yeah. So I, I love talking to him about um, his background and ch- challenges of being on the client side. You know, he's usually a team of one. And so we got touched on professional development. We touched on um, supply side versus client side and changes over the past few years. Um, interesting guy. We'll definitely have him on again. That yeah. was really good. Yeah. And it, I kind of felt like kindred spirits when he was talking about like Department of One and having to just kind of oh, wear yeah. multiple hats. I felt like he was just talking to me while I'm not a Department of One anymore, but Anybody who has been a department of one can probably kind of feel that similarity, like, oh, yeah, I have to be the expert of everything and be able to do this and that and answer all the questions, even though you might not be the expert in it. And Yep. I know you can relate because you've been doing it here for a while and you get every question. So, yeah, definitely saw similarities there. Um, this episode brought to you by EMI. Man, we, we went to the interview, and now we're going to the intro. Um, you can reach us at IntelliCastAMI-RS.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research, or IntelliCast1. We love a text. Just text us if you're listening, 513-401-5463. Current events, I'm going to Chicago this week. You are. You leave tomorrow as we record this. Yeah, I leave uh, tomorrow. It's September 7 through 9. The North Central Insights Association Annual Fall Conference is in Chicago. Very excited. A lot of late signups. And so really good speakers, late signups, and a lot of students there. So I'm excited. And then I think you're the next one to leave after this. Yeah. A month from now, I will be in Chicago. Imagine that um, for Insights Marketing Day. So, and we do have some cool interviews to preview Insights Marketing Day coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we've already done a couple of them, and man, such interesting topics and speakers. I wish I was going. Um, is it typically marketing people that attend Insights Marketing Day? Is it kind of moving a little bit more to researchers that want to be better at marketing? So it's kind of it's actually going more towards marketers. When the first couple years, it was more of like a seventy thirty split of more like business owners of kind of those people who are the owners of their company and have to do the marketing. So understanding what they can do. And then that 30% of actual people in marketing roles. So 
I see the same six, seven people that I recognize, and you can have like, oh yeah, we're that we're that group. But last year it was probably more 60-40, and I imagine it getting more to like 50-50 as more organizations build up their marketing departments. So yeah. Well, that's um that's a green book, little bird marketing thing, which I mean she's done an incredible job there. So good job, yeah. Excited for you guys to go. Both you and Emma are going. Yes, this will be Emma's first business trip. Oh my gosh, is she nervous? I bet she's nervous. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't asked her. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, lots of uh, the speakers from Insights Marketing Day will be in the next few podcasts. A lot of interviews coming up, and um, Craig Alter, as we mentioned before, this is his interview. And again, thanks for listening, everybody. Joining me now, I am excited to have Craig Alter. Craig is the uh, works in Consumer Insights at Bon Secours Marcy Health. Craig, how are you, sir? Thanks for joining us. I'm great, Brian. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm really excited. We don't get a lot of client-side researchers uh, to talk about it, and it's a world I don't really know, honestly. I've only worked supply-side my entire career, which is about 25 years. I've worked with a lot of client-side researchers, but I'm excited to talk to you today kind of about challenges you face, and maybe we can talk a little bit about differences in supply side and client side, uh, but maybe we should start with giving us a little bit of your background and, and maybe how you started the marketing research also. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, so I'm kind of on the opposite side of where you've come from. <laughs> My experience in, in market research has always been on the corporate side, and obviously I've worked with a, a ton of suppliers, small and medium and large, and uh, but I've always been on um, kind of that corporate uh, side. Um, I've been working for about 25 years or so. I, I went to Purdue University and was a business major, and I didn't start out in market research. So I my first uh, job um, was in Cincinnati with Fidelity Invest, Investments. So I was a stockbroker, and I went through the Series 6 and 7 and 63, and I learned all about mutual funds and stocks, and I did that for a while. And and then I found my way to United Dairy Farmers, and I, I got into marketing there and um, ended up being a, a director of, of marketing and got a lot of exposure to kind of that dairy business. Um, spent about five years there. And then I moved to Luxottica, uh, who owns Lens Crafters and Sunglass Hut and Pearl Vision, and got into that kind of optical glasses, sunglasses space. But I started in um a finance role and kind of spent some time in finance and uh, sales audit. Um, and then I ended up kind of discovering a market research opportunity at Luxottica. So then I spent about 10 years in a market research capacity at Luxottica. And that exposed me to kind of the large research companies, you know, the, that you see in the industry that, you know, TNS and Millward Brown and GFK and um, global research. Um, and then I, I moved out of the eyeglass business to a company in Cincinnati called Advanced Pierre Foods, which ultimately was purchased by Tyson Foods. And so I was able to do different types of research, you know, get into more product testing and innovation. Um, it was less about uh, media and advertising and more about kind of uh, innovative new products. And uh, and now I'm at Bon Secours Mercy Health. So I've got my foot in the healthcare space and I've been here uh, for three years. So impressive. Wow, a lot of crazy background. That's awesome. Uh, already, I'm already going to go off script and ask you a question I hadn't thought of until now. Yeah. Um, your story is similar to so many that getting the market research in that you did not go to Purdue University thinking this would be your career, right? You were in finance and 
you kind of stumbled upon it. And that is so common. I mean, nearly everybody in our entire industry has that same story. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Is this a good thing for our industry that we have people that come from very diverse backgrounds that kind of stumble upon it? Or would we be better off with people that are like more traditional, maybe paths to careers in that they have a marketing research class or sophomore year in college and then spend the next couple of years training for marketing research which many other fields have, but we don't really have that. And I tend to think it's kind of an, probably a little bit of both, but I think ultimately it's more of an advantage than disadvantage because we get people that think differently, have different backgrounds. I expect you use your finance background to solve business problems all the time. Um, am I crazy? How, what are your thoughts on this? No, I, I think you're right. I, I think it's a mixed bag, but it probably skews a little more towards the positive historically. And, you know, because I had roles that were in marketing and were in finance, I think that was good background to landing in market research. And I could kind of pull from those past experiences, you know, because you're in a, in a way, you know, market research is very analytical and dealing with numbers and data, but then you're also generally working a lot with um, communication with marketing folks. And, you know, it's nice to kind of have background in those worlds. But, you know, it's interesting. I agree with you that historically, that's what we've seen. A lot of people have kind of found their way into market research, but I almost get the sense I have a son in college now. He's at Purdue and he's a marketing major. But he's thinking about a career in market research when he gets out of school. And I've talked to other kind of younger people who are kind of in that high school and college age. And I almost feel like the industry is resonating with them. You know, it wasn't a thing I was aware of, you know, 25 years ago. I didn't know that was, a, you know, a job. And I didn't know that there was any and maybe there weren't any classes that were really tailored to that. But I feel like today um, you can uh, get exposure in college to market research opportunities and that path and that, you know, the classes that might set you up and prepare for it. So I almost wonder if it's going to change a little bit as we, you know, the, the, those that are going through school now, I think you will find more people than historical that will start out in market research. You know, my son's already asking a lot about like, Hey, I'm a marketing major, but I really like what you do. That sounds really interesting. Like maybe that's what I'll look for as soon as I get out of college. I'll just start in a market research capacity. Yeah, I I agree. And it it may we, we could probably talk an hour just on this topic, but you know, if you want to work in marketing research, typically you're a business major of some sort, and you might need a statistics statistics class some sort of questionnaire design or methodology class. And sometimes those classes might be in social sciences instead of the business college. And so, I don't know, we might need some adjustment and pressure from, from people to maybe make that career path a little easier from a student perspective rather than, you know, switching colleges maybe. That seems like a challenge. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I, I think – there's more opportunities and exposure to consumer insights, market research with people going through college today than there were when, you know, you and I went through school. So, I, you know, I do think that the industry has set itself up a little better than it was, you know, a couple of decades ago to, hey, this yeah. is a this is a function. This is a career. You know, here's you know what it is. And I think you're going to get more people than we used to get go right from school into a market research type role. Well, I want to kind of continue this discussion and maybe we kind of shift it to more professional development. Um, but I'd love to hear what challenges you face as a 
corporate researcher. And again, that's kind of a world I don't completely understand. I kind of get a sense of it from the questions I get from people like you, but I don't really understand what your day-to-day challenges are. So I'd love maybe a something high-level um, overview. We might dig deep on some of it. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, my gut tells me that those on the supply side have more opportunities to attend conferences and have training and professional development. And those, um, they have a lot more exposure to what I would call professional development within market research. I I think it's harder on the client side to kind of get that okay through the organization to attend a conference and to, you know, get professional development and training. So I I don't think those opportunities are are there as much, but I think that, um, some of the challenges, you know, in a corporation is really you're not sitting around a bunch of market researchers who understand what market research is and can do. Um, you know, in healthcare, I'm a department of one, and we don't have a long history of doing market research. So I think a lot of it is about kind of selling in um, what market research can do to help us um, move forward. You know, what questions can we get answered from consumers? You know. How can this make an impact? Um, so I think you're always dealing with, you know, a challenge of trying to sell, you know, what what is the impact that market research could have? You know, why should we spend some money, spend some time, take this step to listen to consumers? Um, it, it's just not something that's uh, the vernacular is just not there. We just don't have a lot of people, especially in healthcare, that have had exposure to market research and what it can do. So I think you're always faced with that challenge a lot of times in corporations. I mean, it's different if you're at a PNG, if you're at a company that has an established, you know, decades of running market research projects, you know, that's different, you know, but in a lot of industries, um, it, it's somewhat newer and it's, um, you don't have a lot of people who have had exposure to it and know kind of what it can do. Yeah, I, I would think in particular, like your role, and there's a lot of people kind of in your role as a team of one, a research team of one, I could not even imagine the kind of questions you get, uh, the challenges you have, um, explaining research and research principles and the advantages and disadvantages of each. Um, We have challenges with that and we sit around a bunch of researchers, right? That's all we do is talk research. Um, And we have challenges, those same challenges, but someone whose focus is in finance or a brand manager or in, um, a CMO, the questions have got to be ranged from don't understand our industry at all, don't understand research at all, to some people probably have a very good understanding of it and um, probably know enough to be dangerous, right? Like who are your who are your like primary like stakeholders? I guess who who would you consider to be like is it a chief marketing officer? Yeah, I think, um, you know, historically, you know, my main uh, internal uh, folks that I've worked with and that I would call internal stakeholders have been people that are sitting in a marketing capacity. But, you know, in in healthcare, um, it can evolve to more clinical um, people asking questions. It can be doctors and nurses and operations, and it can move into things that are really outside of of marketing. Um, It's still predominantly folks in marketing. Um, 
But, you know, those opportunities come up throughout corporations, too, or it's not always someone in marketing. It could be operations. It could be someone that is affiliated with, you know, with stores. And um, so you do have a, a, a nice wide range of different people that might come to you. But you're right. The, the questions can be, uh, you know, they, they almost sometimes don't know what what to ask for. You know, that there isn't an understanding between qualitative and quantitative and when you might use one format versus another, and they aren't going to understand why it might cost so much, you know, when they, when they might look at an RFP, you know, what's driving all these costs, you know, why would it be what it is? And so there is um, a level of uh, communication and discussions that you have that are different in a company like a healthcare company that might be different from, you know, a, more of a CPG c- company that has a lot of people who have been exposed to market research and don't really ask some of those questions. You know, they kind of get it. Craig, with some of that stuff you're mentioning, it sounds like you almost have to be an expert on everything. If they're going to be asking questions since they they're not going to be as familiar with quantitative versus qualitative versus should we go online survey? Should we do a online focus group or an in-person or this or that? How do you kind of stay ahead so you can able to answer those questions? Or do you have to leverage a lot on the partners or vendors you work with to help answer those questions? Well, I think at this point, it helps that I've I've been in market research about 15 years. So I, I think I've gotten to the point where I can answer most of the questions, but certainly um, there are some details that I would need to partner with uh, the supplier and get a little more granular. How, how better to explain something just kind of in layman's terms, you know, what's a good way of kind of explaining, um, you know, what we're trying to accomplish here? That kind of similar to my question, Brian, is that, I would think most brands don't really think in qual or quant. And, but as a researcher, that's how I was trained. That's how we're thought. It's very unique, different kind of methodologies and skills, but they have business questions, right? Mm-hmm. And you try to provide a solution to answer that business question. And there's various ways you can do it. But I think we have an advantage today and that it used to be, Qual was like an in-person, it was a focus group, it was a one-on-one interview, and quant, uh, quant was a large base size, probably a telephone interview of some sort, but those lines have blurred so much in the last few years with technology innovation and all the things we've done. I don't think in the future we'll think about it as qual versus quant. It's more of a solution to answer a business problem, and if the base size is 30 or 80, I mean, we can do kind of about anything, right? But do you think that'll help us in the future? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I've become aware of over the last, you know, five plus years of so many different kind of approaches that combine quant and qual in one project and really do a good job of tackling both. You can really kind of do a study that's maybe a little more qual, but still embed some quant aspects and then vice versa. There's a lot of quant approaches that do get into some nice you know, qualitative techniques. And um, I think that hybrid approach is great because at the end of the day, what you're trying to accomplish for the person that's your internal stakeholder at a corporation, you're just trying to get them the, the best information possible to answer those business questions so that you have something actionable that you can then, you know, push through the organization and make it a positive change, you know? And so it, and it shouldn't, 
you know, they don't care about the methodology or it is on the researcher to go out and find the best approach, find the best technology, find the best you know methodology, the best supplier to work with, you know, because you're just trying to answer the questions in the best way possible that makes the most sense to, to you. And also one, one thing, Brian, you mentioned is that you kind of have to be an expert in everything. Craig and I have been, we briefly talked about it before we started recording, we've been going to these leadership, I don't know, discussions with five to 15 people and we've just been kind of you know having a beer and having casual discussions about challenges and research and leadership and professional development and somebody from Procter and Gamble was one of them and said that he considers himself to be a business leader with a research backpack and I think about that all the time I bet Craig probably thinks of himself the same way too and that he's more than a researcher you're really you want to be a leader in the industry in the in your company you want a seat at the table for decision making, and maybe research is not the way best way to describe ourselves. Maybe we should be better at describing ourselves as business leaders, and we have a big backpack of research at our, you know, disposal to try to help solve business problems. Yeah, you're completely right, Brian. And you know, in my career, I, I guess I think back to my Luxottica times. You know, it wasn't always you know the marketing funnel at the executive level that was the end user of you know a, a market research you know project. So it might not always be the the CMO. Sometimes it was the chief strategy officer or the chief operations officer, or maybe the president of LensCrafters. And so, or maybe someone that's you know, running running stores or running design. And so, um, you know, where I sat, I did kind of try to think of myself as, well, I'm just a business leader, and I'm trying to integrate what I do throughout the organization to whoever that is and as many people want to consume it all the way up to an executive level. Because at the end of the day, I think we all want it to be used. We want it to be actionable. We want it to be impactful, you know, because we want them to come back to us. You know, we don't want to see our budgets cut. We don't want to have any, you know, those at the executive level thinking, is there value, you know, in my organization in market research? Um, or not. And so, you know, I think you do need to kind of think of yourself as um, a business leader. You're, um, you can embed yourself in all aspects of a corporation. And you're trying to, at the end of the day, um, allow consumer insights to find their way to someone in the organization that can use it make a change, you know, find value. Like, well, that was a good, I'm glad we took the time and the, and spent the money to learn from consumers. And now I feel like we're smarter and we can make, you know, a positive change. Yeah, excellent. I'm going to shift a little bit and you're a team of one and you've worked, while well, you've worked at some pretty big brands, my guess is your research teams have been small your entire career. I'm curious how you become a better researcher, how you, um, because, you know, I think most of us in supply side, we're surrounded by researchers and we have managers and we have certain professional, very um, specific professional growth opportunities. And we have people that we can model their behavior and we can ask lots of questions of. How do you kind of do that on your side? Um, is, is it through your suppliers? Is it self-driven? Yeah, I think it's it's those on the latter because because uh, I've always been in small groups, either one or the largest I ever had was four of us at Luxottica. So there isn't a lot of learning from our colleagues, you know, and so it is more of, well, you can learn by going to a conference um, and you learn about, you know, trends and 
tools and techniques and, and methodologies. And then I certainly have learned from suppliers. I, I think probably more than anything for me is, you know, I've worked with the small market research agencies, the midsize and the large ones. And um, I've always found that's where I've gotten the majority of my learning from, you know, like even when I first started, you know, at Luxottica in market research, I didn't know the difference between qualitative and quantitative. That was one of the very first things I needed to learn. And I didn't really have coworkers to kind of teach me a whole lot. So I was kind of learning from, you know, my contacts at TNS and Millward Brown and GFK and like they were kind of bringing me up to speed on the industry and here's how we conduct research and here's how we get sample and here's how we, you know, make charts out of data and here's what cross tabs are. And so, um, you know, I do think it's very different when you're in a corporate role, you don't have as many opportunities to kind of ask the guy next to you, like, Hey, help me understand this better. You know? Right. Now that's, that's such an amazing perspective that I don't think that most supply side researchers understand um, that you're doing a lot of other things than just research at a, at a brand, at a, at a client side company, and you don't have the training. I think most of us kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking for myself. I think we have a lot of admiration for client side researchers. You work at cool brands, big brand names, and I don't know. I've always felt like that was a really cool job to have, even though I've never done it. Um, so knowing that a lot of people don't have the same path to get to that role and they aren't classically trained in research, but they're also closer to the ultimate decision maker in the research. That's, that's probably some challenges. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting this conversation because uh, you know, it's, being on the corporate side all my career, I've always felt like, well, it would be really cool being at a supplier because they have exposure to so many brands and so many companies. And they're always traveling around the country and they're getting to have exposure to many channels and many brands. So that would be cool where, you know, if you're on the corporate side, maybe you've got a couple of brands, you know, maybe two to four or something like that. So it's limited. But then I've always had conversations with those in market research on the supplier side that says, have said, man, it'd be great to be on the corporate side someday because when we turn over a project, like we just don't know what happens to it. We don't see the evolution of like when those on the corporate side start sharing it and um, watching it actually go into action someday. You know, and we're not a part of those conversations. It's like we put together the PowerPoint report, we send it off to you, or maybe we get a chance to present it one time, but then we're done. We move on. And so, you know, I, it's interesting to hear, you know, those on the supplier side say, man, it'd be really fun to kind of watch the evolution of consumer learnings over six to 12 months and watch them actually get impl implemented at a company and something done with it, you know. And so, you know, we miss kind of seeing the finality of where a project starts. Oh, I completely agree. It was one of my biggest struggles when I was a full service researcher in that role when I was sending the PowerPoint deck to the client. And I, the, the time I would feel most fulfilled is when we did a package test or something with new product development and I saw it on the store shelf maybe two or three years later. But, you know, by then my, my, my role might have changed or I'm on a different brand or I'm doing something different. I'm like, wait a minute, I did research on that. That's pretty cool. But that's like three years later, you know, because we know that that process takes forever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a big challenge on the supply side is we think we do really cool research. We've spent a lot of time thinking through the implications and doing pretty charts, 
send it off and then, you know, all right, what's next? And we'll never hear. But yeah, that's a big challenge, I think, for everyone. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and I've heard other, you know, supplier side researchers tell that that same story of like, you yeah. know, we may see something on the shelf years yeah. later and it's like, oh, yeah, I worked on that where it's a little more immediate on the corporate side. You know, I've worked on a lot yeah. of advertising campaigns and then, you know, the television commercials on air. And I, I'm like, oh, I was really involved with that research strap, you know, that path. We started with focus groups and then we moved to copy testing and here it is on TV. And I was involved in that ride, or I've worked with, you know, with products, you know, at advanced peer foods and, you know, being at, at the beginning where we're looking at trends and then we're making prototypes and then we're testing it. And then a product's on the shelf, you know, I was along for that whole ride. And it's kind of cool to kind of see within maybe a one-year timeframe where you started with ideating around what could be a new food product. And then, you know, a year later, the package and the product on a shelf, you know, at a grocery store, and you're like, oh, that's really cool. And it, and you see it within maybe a year and you kind of were along for that ride. Yeah. I, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, you've worked in at, um, I call it Mercy Health uh, for the past few years. Are there any unique challenges to healthcare? I couldn't even imagine the challenges of being a researcher for a healthcare company. Is there anything kind of unique that you've learned over the past few years that are new challenges or additional challenges? Yeah, I, I, we've kind of talked about being a department of one and, you know, I have a smaller budget than I've had in other places I've worked. But some of the other challenges that are unique to healthcare is, uh, you know, you're dealing with HIPAA um, yeah. laws and you're dealing with just the private nature of discussing health. Like I've done some focus groups um, at Mercy Health and then you get into some some interesting areas that are, uh, you know, um, difficult discussions, you know, that are dealing with private health issues. And so it, it's just, it's just different. And you're walking a, a thin line sometimes on what is okay to ask about, whether it's quant or qual and what's maybe not, you know, how maybe do I need to ask something in a more private nature rather than a group setting. And so I just think you're getting into some uh, uncomfortable conversations sometimes. And, and, you know, again, you're, you're dealing with in healthcare, less people throughout the whole organization that are familiar with research, you know, one researcher and then, you know, even a lot of the marketing people and, and really certainly when you get outside of marketing, you've got a lot of people who have always been in healthcare. So they haven't had exposure to market research. So you have that challenge of, you know, here's what this is. Here's why it makes sense to kind of take some time and spend some money and do some research. And here's kind of how to understand it. So I think storytelling becomes a big part um, in healthcare, a key ingredient of trying to boil research down into, you know, small bullet points and, and not getting caught in the weeds around methodology and approach. It's more about here's what we learned, you know, on a slide or two, and here's what we can kind of do with that learning to, to maybe make a positive change. One more random question we'll remove if you're not prepared to answer this one. Um, for those locally in Cincinnati, you all have the uniform sponsorship for our MLS team, FC Cincinnati. And I think it's, what a, but there's no better way, in my opinion. I mean, it's just right on the front of their uniform on TV every week. Do you, were you involved in the decision making process for that or in the measurement of the impact of that in any way at all? I wasn't involved with the initial signing of that. That actually happened right before I joined um, our organization. So the 
contract, so to speak, had been signed just before I started. But the measurement of it, um, we do, a, I do an annual brand equity reputation study. And, you know, that is a question in there is, you know, for Cincinnati, you know, are you aware who the sponsor is of the, the FC Cincinnati team? And once we clue those in that weren't initially aware, you know, we ask about that impact. And, and really, the, the tie is to orthopedics. When you think about sports medicine and orthopedics, you know, we're trying to raise awareness that, oh, yeah, Mercy Health is a place that I can go to myself or take my kid to um, if I get hurt, you know, if, you know, we have a sports injury or some other orthopedic need. It's not just a hospital that you go to when you're sick. Like, you know, just trying to get in the mindset of like some awareness that we're trying to drive of like there's some connection to orthopedics, which isn't that emergency thing. A lot of times it's more planned out. I might need my some knee surgery or my hip replaced, but um, it's just, uh, I think it can have an impact and, you know, we're still measuring that awareness. You know, we've been doing it, I think for about three years or so that, that relationship, but yeah, you know, it sports sponsorships are tricky, you know, and they can cost a lot of money and it's, it's hard to see the immediate impact when you're asking about awareness in a brand tracking study. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you hope your business in orthopedics goes up and you can kind of say, well, I think it's because, you know, we we probably one of the th- levers is we've been able to get some exposure, increased awareness um, with people who kind of watch sports and they think about us now when they have an orthopedic issue. Right. I, I mean, you the company does so much great things in the community. And so that's just another thing I think that connects uh, the brand with the community, which I'm sure is important. Um, I, I feel like I could talk to you for another hour about this stuff, but we should probably move on. Um, maybe a couple of fun questions. And we've been bringing them back. Brian's been bringing them back. Um, we, we're doing the original four Ps. We're not doing Publix or Prince. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to sneak one in at some point. Maybe we'll bring, them, we'll bring Publix and Prince back maybe Q4, but right yeah. now, no, we're going, we're going with the OGs. Okay, so we took the marketing mix um, four Ps and we kind of made it its own thing to try to get people uh, to understand them a little bit more on a personal level. I know Craig has thought about this, which I'm really excited about. Um, The first P is perform. What is something that most people don't know about you? Do you have any hidden talents? I do play piano. So I um, was exposed to that when I was young. Uh, I remember my mother really wanted me to have some musical skill. And of course, you know, when I was, you know, sixth, seventh grade, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was go to a weekly piano lesson, you know, and I remember just not enjoying it there for a couple of years. But one thing my mother always said, is, she's like, I think you're gonna um, thank me someday, you know, and I I didn't really understand it at the time. And, you know, I just thought, well, this is just a hassle. I'd rather be playing sports. You know, I didn't didn't feel cool to take piano lessons, but she was 100% right because now it's something I've learned and it's a, it's kind of a, a hobby or a pastime. And I'm glad I developed that skill at an early age. And so now I can just for some enjoyment, go and play some, you know, some pop tunes that I enjoy. You know, you, you kind of start off with being forced to learn like classical stuff and stuff that feels really boring as a young person or these, you know, these piano textbooks. And then, but then once you kind of learn the skill and you realize like, oh, now I can play songs that I enjoy that I hear on the radio and then it, it's kind of fun. Craig, what's, what's your go-to to play? Well, you, you know, I, I remember when I was younger, I used to like to play Billy Joel and Elton John, but um, probably more recently, I like to try to play Coldplay songs. Okay. Those are all good. Um, 
we, so most people don't know this, but I've talked about a little bit on the podcast. I have a second job. I, I'm a trustee in Columbia Township and we do an annual concert at 50 West, which is in Columbia Township. It's a local brewery. Most people have heard of in the region. And last year we had an Elton John cover band and the guy looked just like Elton John. He was amazing. And this year we had a Billy Joel cover band and the guys looked, looked just like Billy Joel, but those are so piano driven. Um, and so is Coldplay. So those are probably tough songs. Mm-hmm. I'm, not musically inclined at all, but those are probably really tough. Yeah, I think that's the key is they're piano driven songs. You know, it's a little hard to play piano and do justice to a song where it's, you know, you know, the original was a little more guitar heavy or drum heavy. But some of those that you just know are very piano heavy uh, end up sounding pretty good once you learn them. All right. Next P, pandemic. <laughs> well, what is something fun or quirky that you started doing since the quarantine started? I always give the example, which I'm sure you don't know, Craig, but most of our listeners probably know. When the pandemic started, we canceled all sports for you know for that summer for a while. I was lost, and so I found marble racing on YouTube through this guy in the Netherlands, and I became addicted to it. And uh, Yelly's Marbles, if you Google that on um, YouTube, you, he's still doing it. It's an autistic kid who does it with his brother, and it's fascinating. I still watch it. Um, that was my pandemic story. Most people, I bet you do, have like a more um, useful something they did during the pandemic. I'd love to hear yours. Yeah, that's interesting, Brian. I've never heard of the marble guy. I'll have to look that up. That sounds interesting. Um, I don't know if it's fun or quirky, but um, I've been asked this before, you know, what kind of thing did the pandemic maybe uh, change in your life and what maybe were you able to kind of turn into a positive? And, you know, I it always had jobs where I commuted into the office every day until the pandemic started. And I've been working from home since. And um, I've been able to basically take that hour and a half that I used to have with a commute time and go to the gym. And so I've been pretty diligent over the last two years of, of going four to five days a week and carving out and basically taking that hour and a half and, you know, and it's often during the day and I just go and I and I go work out, you know, I belong to a couple of gyms. And uh, so I feel like I've gotten a little healthier and I've been able to kind of carve that time into my day because, you know, when you're not getting home till six o'clock and you've got the commute, it's hard to kind of fit that in to the evening. So being able to kind of be flexible and working from home and just being able to kind of uh, work out has been something that is a positive that I think I came out of the pandemic for me personally. No, that's a good one. And, you know, working at a wellness company, I'm sure that uh, that's encouraged. Um, so um, that's that's a great way to spend that time. Um, next P is pampering. Do you have any indulgences? You know, I, I've always loved traveling and my whole family has. So it's something that we are good at. You know, we'll make sure that we'll spend four weeks a year away and seeing the world and taking our kids off and along with us. So I like to spend money on experiences. And, you know, we love, you know, whether it's going to the movies or whether we're we're going on a big week trip somewhere. um, I just, I'm a big proponent on kind of um, pampering my family with um, experiential type things. We just recently got back from a week in Utah hiking and it's just, Spending money, I think, on on traveling and going places and experiencing all that there is in the world is kind of where I like to kind of pamper myself. That's a great one. Um, same. And I have not done hardly any traveling in the past couple of years. And then last P, pastime. 
Um, what do you do when you have free time other than travel, other than piano, other than work out? <laughs> I, um, I like to play golf and uh, my son plays high school tennis and I did as well when I was younger. And so I, I've been back playing tennis with him and uh, I really just like being outdoors. I try to work outdoors when I can. I'll take my laptop outside and when the weather's nice and uh, we like to we like to hike, we like to to bike so really just anything outdoors um, is really my favorite thing to do with any free time I have is just getting outdoors and breathing the fresh air and trying to be active. Very good. Man, it's been such a joy talking to you. I really appreciate it. Usually we give an opportunity for people to promote their company or their brand. Um, you can do that if you'd like. If there's anything else you'd like to promote, I think a lot of our listeners have heard of Mercy Health and it's a client-side company. You're not looking for business necessarily, but if there's anything you'd like to promote, now's your chance. Yeah, um, you know, Bon Secours is kind of our East Coast brand. Um, it's um, in like Virginia and South Carolina. And then, you know, you hear of Mercy Health more in the throughout Ohio and Kentucky. So we're kind of mostly in four states, but we've got around 50 hospitals. And so, you know, trying to grow and, um, you know, dealing with the challenges that healthcare has dealt with, um, you know, with COVID and then coming on the backside with inflation. But um, I think we're doing a lot of good things and we, 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 we make a difference in people's lives, which is nice. We're set up as a, a, a nonprofit. So we're essentially defined as a Catholic nonprofit okay. ministry. And so that's something that a lot of people probably don't know about Mercy Health is they are a, a nonprofit, you know, Christian based or the organization. Very good. Well, Thank you so much. I learned a lot today. It's great to hear that perspective. Um, you're somewhat active on LinkedIn. I'm sure people, if you have any questions for Craig, he's accessible on LinkedIn. And uh, thank you so much for joining, Craig. It's been fun. I appreciate it. It's good to talk to you, Brian. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. And thanks for having me on. All right. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.